Welcome to the Ultra Sports Science Foundation podcast, provided as part of our educational mission. In these sessions, we chat with scientists and clinicians who are generating new knowledge related to ultra endurance sports, bringing you insight directly from those in the know. Please listen in to our conversation. Hi, I'm Matthew White, your host for this Ultra Sports Science Foundation podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Birkenhead, who is not only a dietitian, but has a PhD from the School of Health and Sports Science, the University of the Sunshine Coast at Morichador in Australia. Uh, Karen's going to talk to us today about her publication in the Journal of Physical Activity Research, authored by herself, Jeff Lovell, Susan Barr, and Colin Solomon. The title of the publication is Changes in Physical Activity Across the Lifespan of Current Ultra-Endurance Exercisers. Thanks, Karen, for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us today in this podcast on your 2018 study. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I thought that before we get going, I'd just ask you a little bit about your co-authors, uh, Jeff Lovell and Susan Barr and, and uh, Colin Solomon. Could you talk a little bit about how they were involved in the study? I'd like to make sure that everyone uh, involved in the study uh, gets a mention and, and how they uh, brought uh, important parts into the study. Yeah, um, all very important uh, participants in our study. Um, they, they were great contributors. Um, um, this study was actually part of a series of investigations in my PhD, and each one of the co-authors brings a different expertise, I guess you could say. Um, Colin Solomon is my primary PhD supervisor who I met uh, in Australia uh, who is also an ultra runner. So his background is largely in that area, exercise physiology. Susan Barr, I've known for over 25 years. She's a dietitian and obviously for her expertise in, in not only as a dietitian and in nutrition, um, is an expert in obviously research. Uh, Jeff Level is also uh, an integral part of the co-authors who was the sports uh, sports psychologist and Part of my PhD involves a component related to um, uh, the psychological component. He's also very expert, uh, an expert in the uh, statistical side of it. So again, all four, all all three of them um, played a big part in this in this paper, and of course the the, the entire PhD project. Uh, terrific! It's it's great to hear about uh, your team and. Uh... So with that team and, and the subject area, could you give the, the audience a summary of how you got interested in this research area? What brought you to want to study ultra sport exercisers? Well, it's a good question. I actually moved to Australia in 2012 to complete my master's in sport nutrition uh, as a dietitian. Um, I had a passion for um, a specific specialty in sport nutrition. It was during my master's degree that I met um, Colin Solomon, uh, and I worked with him in exercise physiology and in the lab, along with one of his PhD students who was working with ultra runners. Uh, my background was in mostly triathlon and, and um, Ironman distant triathlon, and then I met this group of individuals who did running even beyond that, and I was very interested uh, both from a nutritional perspective, but also from a physical activity perspective, and being able to engage in, in the high volumes that these individuals um, participate in. And I worked directly in the lab in a, study, in, in a study with ultra runners. So it just really inspired me, and I was uh, really eager to continue research in the area with my PhD. Terrific. 
So, so then in the study, Karen, the, the question you asked was about the lifetime physical activity of these ultra endurance exercisers. And uh, were these specifically ultra uh, runners and cyclists? That, yeah, that's a good question. When we first started the study, we were going, well, all, what's, are we going to just narrow it to ultra running and cycling or ultra swimming? Or, and we thought due to the differences, we could have, considering there were a, a couple individuals who uh, took part who were also ultramen, but they also participated in ultra running. Um, and we thought that, that the two, cycling and, and running, would give us a, a large enough volume of participants um, that we didn't need to expand beyond that and, and also to make it more specific. So, so then just uh, in a couple of uh, words, could you summarize the main findings of the study? Uh, and then we can go on and talk about some of the particulars or the, the details. Okay. Well, the, I think the biggest thing oh, that we found and we were able to do was to actually describe um, the physical activity of 120 ultra endurance runners and cyclists across their lifespan. And uh, what we found was this was a very heterogeneous group, but at the same time, we were able to describe them based on their largest increase uh, in running and cycling. And everyone in the study had uh, reported a significant increase in running and cycling at some stage across their lifespan. That's probably one of the biggest things uh, that we found. All right, so now the study included a questionnaire and I think what's really interesting, and I guess part of an emerging theme in research, is recruitment using social media and web pages. Can you speak to the success, and possibly as a seasoned veteran in that methodology, you now any possible drawbacks to this recruitment method? Um, I'm not sure. If, I mean, the, it w it was a lot of work uh, in the beginning. Uh, certainly, uh, <laughs> the only negative drawback is it went through my Facebook, so now I've got a million different. Um, open pages that I didn't want. But um, the, the, the advantage was, was that it really allowed me to tap into a really broad group from worldwide, although I only targeted North America and um, Australia. Obviously, given the, the World Wide Web, it's, it's uh, anybody. So we had, I think I had a few from the UK and Germany, mostly were from North America and Australia. And the objective was to, to, to reach as many as I possibly could. And I went through various uh, ultra endurance sites, uh, events, um, both cycling and running or organizations. There was a really helpful listserv that's available for the, from the US that I tapped into and I invited ultra runners through that. And basically it was, I, it, I asked the, or, um, the person who ran the website or the event if I could send an invite if I could post an invite once they said that was okay I posted the invite on Facebook or social media and invited participants to um, click on the, the 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 website survey and and go from there if they met criteria they entered into the survey great so you got a little bit already into my my next question was on the demographics of your sample you mentioned that uh, runners and cyclists made up the the large proportion mm -hmm. And uh, so could you just expand on that a little bit on the demographics? Are these middle-aged people? Are they males, females? And what are the proportions? Well, as with uh, my previous uh, reports on the demographics, they were, they were mostly men. Um, uh, they were 
highly educated when I got their their background. A lot of them had postgraduates, uh, doctorates, uh, bachelor's degrees. Um, Caucasian, the majority, uh, with the entire 120 um, individuals, the majority of them fell within the, their 40s. Uh, the second biggest group were in their 50s. And then after that, I believe it was uh, the, their 30s were the next biggest group. Um, I had a few in their 70s and um, in the really early starters in ultra endurance exercise. But again, most of them, the, most of them were ultra runners. Uh, then there were some ultra cyclists and then a combination of people who, who did all three. Yeah, yeah. Terrific. And, and now you, I think it was 58% male, so almost an even split. Mm -hmm. uh, male, female? Yes. There was one group with more females when we looked at the grouping, when I uh, categorized them based on their ultra endurance exercise group. There was one group with slightly more more females, and I think that was 19 to 30 group. There was a little, there's four more females than there were males. Well, that's nice to see that there's a good representation of women in the sample. Yes, and I think studies are showing they're increasing, so that's that's good. Yeah, we're seeing the same out this way. Yeah. So maybe building on that, that theme uh, of your categorization, in figure one in the paper, you show your novel method to categorize athletes, athletes, and figure two separates them on their total activity and activity type across the lifespan age group. Can you summarize these uh, methods of categorization? And yeah, well, when we when we first when I first got this data, there was I think over forty thousand data points, so um, it was a, quite a as I called it mountain of data. And it was, what, how, how are we going to describe this group of individuals? So the first step was to graph their total volume of exercise, which included everything across their lifespan. And so if you can picture all five of those graphs in one, that's pretty much what it looked like. They were, it was quite crazy um, and all over the map. And because we had asked and recruited for runners and cyclists, we chose then to just look at ultra running and cycling. So then I took out just the ultra running and cycling activity and decided to group uh, based on their, big, their biggest change across their lifespan. So we've had life periods from five to 12, all the way up to 61 to 75 years of age. And all of the, once they were grouped according to that, when we did the stats, they all, when they were grouped according to those, had, their, had a significant change in their running and cycling from the life period before that into the one they were grouped in. Right, yeah, so a novel method and uh, one to focus on their most active periods then. Yes, yes. I mean, they were active, if you look at the cross the lifespan, and when they, they um, get, provided some open-ended answers, they had indicated they had been doing many other things before that. So when, if potentially that area where they showed their biggest increase was when they became an ultra runner or cyclist, we don't know. They just showed it a significant increase in that type of activity in that period of time. So a little bit on the metrics you used for quantifying their physical activity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you were looking at the number of years times the number of months and then hours per week for a given activity multiplying by the metabolic equivalent. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the compendium of physical activities uh, by Ainsworth. Uh, the paper I think is cited in your, in your reference list. So can you describe 
just in, in global terms, how the this met metric uh, was used uh, to to classify their physical activity levels. Yes. So as you can see in the paper, they had twenty six options of physical activity to choose from. So and and again, they were they were prompted at the beginning that we're, we're not expecting you know specific details. This is to, to, to help you remember, and that's where um, it's also written in the paper where they were provided cognitive prompts that preceded each life period that were meant to place them in the time period. So where were you living? Who did the cooking? How old were you? Um, and then they were, it helped, this has been shown to actually help in memory recall. So they, they were then given the 26 um, different activities, which ranged from everything from golf, cricket to running high intensity. And um, they told us the number of years within that life period they Complete, they believe they participated in it, the number of weeks, and then the number of hours in a week. Once that was all in, again, I, I calculated it all out and then assigned a MET value, which is uh, one MET for your, your listeners, is the equivalent to uh, 3.5 mils of oxygen consumption per mil per kilogram, uh, 3.5 mils per kilogram per minute. So that's one MET is equivalent to about of sitting quietly yeah or resting and resting and so, so uh, if they said they golfed there was a, just slightly under a uh, met value of three and if they were uh, on a good run of about four four minutes per kilometer they were assigned a met value of around uh, just under 12 so from three upwards of 13 14 for the really fast runners um or cyclists for that matter Terrific. Yeah, that's that's nice to give some insights on the metric that you've used and uh, for the readers to appreciate in a questionnaire style study how to start quantifying um, the intensity of the effort yes. in addition to the, the frequency and duration of, of their activities. Yeah. So um, moving on a little bit, when we look at the time of the first ultra event, and this kind of stuck out for me, only 30% had that event within their uh, first uh, within their high activity period, but 87% um, of these athletes uh, started about two years before uh, their first uh, ultra endurance event. C uh, could you speak to that and what does this tell us about uh, when people start these ultra uh, endurance sports? We, and not all the participants responded to this question when they, when did you complete your first ultra? And so okay. when they said, well, I completed it when I was say, 42, I then mm -hmm. looked and said, oh, well, this was actually the time period when they showed their greatest increase. And other participants had not. They'd actually showed their, they completed the first, their first ultra before they showed their greatest increase. And potentially, I mean, we, we thought about why that might have been. They could have taken part and some of them actually told us this in in their um uh when, when i emailed them back because that mm -hmm. was some missing information they said oh i all of a sudden went out riding and just just kept riding with this group and that was my longest ride in my ultra event and then it kind of inspired them to want to go further and some of them mm -hmm. reported i did this event this running event and it was uh, it was terrible but then they were inspired well this was great i want to keep working so then they showed subsequent greater yeah. in activity later on in their life so that that was just a, of course a, a, a guesstimate guess that was why, why that was what why we saw that yeah but it's it's an interesting uh, result in your study to show uh, what is motivating people to get involved in these sports and and what uh, 
period of time with respect to their training does that correspond yeah and i think that that's actually something for future research of course is to you know do they actually decide i'm going to become an ultra runner or ultra cyclist today or is it really a gradual thing or is it different from each individual that they they have always been active doing a triathlon or whatever long runs less than an ultra and then they just move into it by by experience by seeing meeting people for example um so yeah it would be very interesting to see why it is and uh um why people take part in the first place mm -hmm. interesting so now just uh, looking at across figures one and two again mm -hmm. could you speak to the the level of variability across the lifespan so how you know relative to their most active period how does uh, the physical activity vary in these individuals as, and within the different age groups yeah, and we were actually, that's a good question, because we were curious to know um, if it was a time uh, reflecting on, on, on our, within our group, our own activity level, if I were to take part in running, well, I might have to cut back on other areas. So within each of the boxed areas in figure two, we also analyzed what happened with the other activities being uh, strength-based or non-aerobic-based activities. And all of the participants Although visually, um, some are more difficult to see than others, there was a decline in all other activities um, other than running and cycling when they increased their running and cycling. Only one group actually showed a significant de decrease in that, and that was figure B, where the participants who were grouped into their 19 to 30 age category actually showed a significant decrease in all other aerobic activities that were not running and cycling. So generally then the running and cycling brought, brought all the activity levels up in the majority of groups. Yes, yeah, exactly. Great. So uh, interesting points and, and uh, uh, ones that I think will lead to some future directions for your research. And uh, what do you think those are? What are the next uh, directions uh, that you think uh, need to be followed for your, for your study? And, and uh, what uh, messages do you have uh, to, to put out to the ultra sports community on uh, activity across the lifespan? Well, I think because given that this was the um, one of, of two, of course, Marty, uh, uh, Dr. Hoffman had one on um, lifetime, reported on lifetime physical activity. So this is the only one, uh, our study is the only that, one that has quantified it. And I think it's important uh, considering its lifetime too, do these individuals engage in physical activity like this across their lifespan? Is it good for you? I mean, many people that who are non-ultra people that I spoke to would say, well, that can't be good for you. Um, myself hoping that that wasn't so. And being a dietitian, this was a part of um, a series of investigation that included diet and nutrition. And I was always curious to really investigate what um, people engage in this volume of physical activity eat, not only during, um, which there's more research on that. There's more research that's looked at what people consume pre, post, during a, an event with very, very minimal. Um, well, there was no information on lifetime diet. So I think looking at this, these group of individuals who choose to take part in ultra endurance exercise uh, is really important for the broader public health perspective, promoting health and physical activity and diet for long, longevity. Um, and this is these these individuals provide a really unique group because of course they you know they meet public health guidelines obviously in terms of physical activity 
but they might mm-hmm. go above and beyond that. Is that good? Is that not? And, um, I would yeah. hope it is. <laughs> well, indeed, uh, I, I think that uh, studies such as your own and, and that by Dr. Hoffman uh, are really uh, helping to build the, the knowledge as to the benefits uh, and uh, health uh, uh, status of the ultra uh, sport community. Mm. And uh, your works are bringing excellent uh, um, knowledge and evidence, I think is the best word, uh, to the to the table. Since there's a few detractors that are suggesting that maybe the ultra sports are uh, detrimental to different physiological systems. Yeah. And I think that um, when you look at past research with lifetime physical activity, a lot of them have used tools like we used in our research to investigate long-term health impacts on whether it be bone health or cognitive health or cardiovascular disease. And this could be carried out um, with this group of individuals. And, and, and of course, is what we did in, in my PhD with respect to biological aging, which is a future topic to discuss. And you mentioned that uh, uh, you collected dietary information as well on your, on your group. Yes. And it, it, because it was, um, uh, more convenient and uh, made more sense to collect the information at the same time. So we used the cognitive prompts preceding each life period and asked them exercise and diet at the same time for that life period. So yes, I have lifetime um, uh, diet information on this insane, same group of individuals. Yeah, very interesting. Can you give us any tidbits as to uh, what we're going to see or do we need to wait for the publication to come out? Well, it should be out soon, hopefully. But yeah, it's actually looking at the relationship between the two across the lifespan, between diet and physical activity. Terrific. And uh, so for, uh, for your study, just maybe one last uh, question before, before we wrap it up. And that is, uh, you, you uh, like a good, any good authors, you've identified some limitations to your study. And maybe you could speak to a couple of those and how others that are implementing questionnaire styles and perhaps taking up on your lead with the use of social media to recruit your participants, uh, how they might uh, uh, benefit from the experience you've got completely steady on the ultra endurance uh, exercisers. Well, I think, um, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, one of the uh, one of the limitations identified with social media is, I mean, in, in today's age, not everybody has a computer and, 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 and or nor enjoys doing it that way. So that does limit and might sort of self-select the population pool. Um, that would be one of the, the negatives of, of social media. Um, the, with respect to the, the, the method used to collect the data, obviously we looked at retrospective data across the, the lifespan for many people many decades ago. So it did recall, rely on memory recall. Um, again, the use of the cognitive prompts that preceded each life period has been shown to help uh, minimize um, or sort of help uh, create better memories um, from the past. Um, so that was clearly a limitation. However, how you would do it otherwise, uh, other than follow them longitudinally across their lifespan, which would be uh, rather expensive, I'm not sure. Um, and probably not so feasible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, the, w- one of the other limits of, with respect only to our study was the grouping, of course, was when we grouped individuals into 
the age categories, 19 to 30, 31 to 45, well, obviously somebody in a younger age category couldn't be grouped into 61 to 75. So we don't know what their activity might look like later on, and they could potentially show their biggest increase in their 40s. So that, that of course, was a limitation. Yeah, so perhaps if you continue with the study in subsequent versions, mm -hmm. or, or your group uh, continues with that, uh, a longitudinal study might develop as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Karen, for uh, taking time to talk to us today on this very interesting publication. And uh, we'll be posting the details of uh, Karen's study. Uh, Karen Burkhead, Jeff Lovell, Susan Barr, and uh, Colin Solomon, Changes in Physical Activity Across the Lifetime of Current Ultra-Endurance Exercisers, which is in the Journal of Physical Activity, uh, volume number three, uh, published in 2018. Thanks very much again, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You're more than welcome. It was an absolute pleasure and I look forward to your future research. Excellent. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ultra Sports Science Foundation podcast. Please explore our website, ultrasportscience.us, for additional educational opportunities, including our annual International Congress, medical training videos, and case reports. We welcome your feedback at the email provided on the Foundation website. And if you like what we're doing, please consider a donation to our nonprofit foundation. Until next time, stay healthy.